Punching Holes in the Darkness is a podcast by the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. It's an opportunity for pastors and leaders in Michigan churches to have their voices heard and to share how to best reach our mission field from Detroit to the Upper Peninsula. Well, folks, today we're talking to Ed Linton. He is one of the candidates for presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's coming up in Nashville, and uh, you're going to want to hear this podcast. Friends, I want to introduce to you one of our new partners. It is GuideServe. They are our financial partner who helps us take care of all of our nickels and noses, so to speak. Uh, GuideServe is an outsourced accounting partner for our Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Uh, GuideServe provides professional accounting solutions to churches and ministries all across the country. And they offer, they truly offer some comprehensive accounting and payroll solutions to organizations ranging from just beginning church plant to large churches and expansive ministries. And listen, if you'd like to know more about them, you can visit their website at guideserve.com or send them an email at info at guideserve.com. And by the way, if you mention BSCM, uh, when you do, it'll be a benefit to us as well. So welcome our new partner, GuideServe. Well, welcome again to another edition of Punching Holes in the Darkness podcast of the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. We do this to help our pastors, to encourage them, to inspire them, educate, and just talk about the things that are important in the life of pastors in Michigan and beyond. Now, today we have for us uh, one of our, our good friends and a guest here, uh, Ed Litton. And he is a wonderful guy. Maybe you've heard his name. Maybe you haven't. Uh, he happens to be one of the four guys that might be president of the convention one of these days. So, uh, and it is so, so good to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining with us. Well, Tim, thank you for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this and uh, really enjoy what you guys are doing. And I love the title of your podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that, that came from uh, uh, some writings long ago of a, a fellow you know. He wrote uh, a lot of classics, but there was a little statement he had made one time about uh, he was watching a lamplighter walk through the, the streets of London, mm -hmm. and his nanny asked him, what, uh, what are you doing? He said, I'm watching a man punch holes in the darkness. Wow. And I, I kind of clicked with that, and I said, you know, that's really what we're about is uh, we've been called to punch holes in the darkness. And that's what we do here at Michigan. So uh, that, that's where that came from. So, well, Ed, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your family and uh, wife, children, grandchildren, if you have those. Yeah. Uh, listen, again, it's an honor to be on. I, um, and like most Baptist pastors, I love talking about myself. So uh, the bottom <laughs> line is I grew up a very pagan home. Uh, my father was in the Navy and um, would have become an alcoholic and a drug abuser. And people will often ask me, uh, especially in this season um, of my life, they'll say, well, why are you Southern Baptist? Why do you choose to be Southern Baptist? And I say, well, frankly, we started Southern Baptist because those are the people who came to get us. Uh, it was a Southern Baptist pastor who brought the gospel to my father. My father experienced a radical conversion experience. About a year later, at uh, eight or nine years old, I experienced a conversion uh, experience of uh, uh, trusting the Lord as my Savior, being baptized into a Southern Baptist church. And that's why I am. I remain a Southern Baptist because uh, 
convictional uh, reasons. And I <clears throat> have been pastoring a Southern Baptist church, uh, all of my ministry. I've had two churches. We were church planters in Arizona and then uh, moved to Alabama and have no family, no background in Alabama, mm. but we've been here for 27 years. So awesome. I, I grew up in a home that was, had been experienced a radical conversion. My, both of my parents lived their lives in ministry. And I, what, I, what I mean by that is they were not ordained. They were, they were not pastors. They were not leaders. Well, they were leaders, but they, they spent their life connecting people to the gospel. And awesome. uh, as a matter of fact, my dad died about six years ago. And the last thing I preached that morning, I went by his house on my way. I was heading out of town on a plane on a Sunday afternoon and uh, just to check on him. And I thought it may be the last time I got to see him. And um, he died in a matter of hours after I left. And, but the last thing my dad said to me was a question. He said, did anybody get saved today? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so my life has been marked by the gospel. And, uh, and so it, it probably wasn't, shocking that God would call me to be a gospel preacher, to pastor a gospel church, and uh, to give my life to uh, serving, serving his gospel. Uh, real quick story, I have, um, uh, I have a unique background in this sense of something nobody wants, and you certainly don't want to experience, but my wife Tammy and I started a church in Arizona. We moved here, and uh, the year we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary, Tammy was killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have three children, two boys and a daughter. My daughter was with Tammy in the accident. She was 13 at the time. And um, several years later, God brought a woman into my life named Kathy Ferguson. Her husband, Rick Ferguson, was a pastor in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, his kids, uh, same age. He and Tammy were the same age. He was in a car accident on a family vacation and, and was killed. And so our lives both experienced a profound sense of tragedy and, uh, and God has brought us together. We, we love working together. We have a heart for church planting and missions. And uh, we, we love the local church. We believe in the local church, that God has ordained the local church. And so we're, we're excited to, to, to minister uh, together. She works at the North American Mission Board. And uh, she, her ministry is to pastors' wives, primarily church planters' wives, and spouses of church planters. And so uh, that turns out uh, the greatest factor of health in a church is the pastor's health. And the greatest factor uh, on the pastor's health is his wife's health. And so Absolutely. We, we all need to invest strongly in church planting, but especially in the spouses of those that are planting uh, yeah. long -term, for long-term success. Absolutely. Ed, you know, many of us watched your life from afar. We, you know, we heard about your tragedy years ago and uh, Kathy's well. And uh, we watched that and heartbroken for all of, for both of you and your families. But then we also watched that unique love affair take place. And uh, you come together and believe me, pastors all over this convention and their wives were cheering for you guys. Mm. And uh, we, we think back to those days. Those were some great days in what God did in your lives. And I believe that has... I think that has a large effect on the kind of individual we are now. You can't help that, but be right. the case. Right. And I think it, it helps you understand pastors and their hurts and their needs and, and when they walk through things and what it, what it means to really have loss. Our world is a suffering, hurting world. And, and our suffering experiences have altered us. 
you know, we were at a time period where, you know, most people, they're healthy, they're still young, vibrant, they have ministry years ahead of them. And God altered the course of our lives. And, and um, he takes you on a journey you didn't ask for. And, but the reality is, we love what God is doing and how and it's just such a redemptive story uh, of how God wants to use our suffering and our pain. You know, I had a student ask me right about a month after Tammy died. He said, did your view of God's sovereignty help you or hurt you when Tammy died? And I said, yes, <laughs> it utterly devastated me that he would. Absolutely. I understand. Oh yeah. Before the That's time honest... that I would suffer at that moment, but also, it was the utter comfort of my heart that this was not an accident, that a sovereign God was in control, and that, that meant he had a plan. Absolutely. When I was tempted to commit suicide, that wasn't an option. I couldn't do it. I couldn't give in to that temptation, that feeling, although it was overwhelming, um, because my life's not my own. It's been bought with a price. That's right. And, that, and I love it that you give an honest answer, because many pastors will give really good Sunday school answers. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we're good at that. But we're, we are good at that, aren't we not? Um, but thank you for giving an honest answer. Yes, because it is both. And there are conundrums in life that we will never be able to figure out. There are uh, uh, issues that we will never be able to understand. Uh, uh, Dr. Criswell uh, used to talk about those uh, uh, great con conflicts of life that you never understand about God and life. Uh, and I have questions when I get to heaven. I know that. But until then, I'm just going to say, yes, both. And that's my understanding. That's where I am. Hey, well, listen, tell me, tell me about your church today, where you're pastoring today, and what God is doing there. Well, let me tell you, I, I came to a great and healthy church. My predecessor had, had relocated the church out to an interstate location, and so many churches did that in that same time period in the 80s and 90s, and just left me a very strong church. We came, and God just continued to bless it and grow it. Uh, it was called First Baptist North Mobile. It had a regional identity, was reaching people all around the community. And so we've gone through, in 27 years, we've gone through a lot of changes. Uh, matter of fact, I'm convinced we're in the process right now of re-envisioning and vision framing what we what we believe God wants us to be going forward. I, it turns out you do that about every three to four mm -hmm. years when you pastor a church. And so we're in that process now. But several years ago, God laid on our hearts that we needed in that vision framing changing process that we needed to challenge our people to reach the next generation. And so I called everyone 50 and older together. And we sat down, it's about 10 years ago, and I said, uh, uh, look, if we, we have this prime piece of property, but it's going to be a Home Depot if we don't intentionally reach the next generation. And it got real quiet in the room. It was a huge room of people. And, and they said, Pastor, are you dying? And I go, yeah, I am dying. I'm an interim. You know, uh, We're all interims. We're all dying. But, but the reality is I challenged them. And they said, well, what's it going to look like? I said, I really can't tell you right now. And I really couldn't. But I said, I believe we will make basic changes. And you can trust me. It will not be against the Word of God. It will be in stream with the Word of God. Long story short, those people, 50 and older, took up that challenge. And that was 10 years ago. Mm. Average age of our church 10 years ago, I think, was 38.7. Uh, today, it's 28. Amazing. And, and it's, it's to their credit, and it's for the glory of God, that they said, all right, whatever changes we need to make, we will make to reach the next generation. 
but this is an always ongoing process. Tell me, tell you something. I heard Manly Beasley say something at the mm. SBC years ago. He said, he said, Baptists mistakenly think that death is an event. He said, death is a process. If, and, and I'm going to tell you that wired in my brain. Absolutely. As a leader, as a pastor, that I have to always challenge my people because death is a process, churches are always dying. And, and that our goal isn't the survival of the church. Our goal is the gospel. And if we're reaching people, making disciples and raising up leaders and deploying them, the church will always have a cycle of fresh leadership, fresh vision that's pushing out for the ultimate goal. And, and, and so it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful perspective. And so we're in that vision process again right now. But in that process or out of that process, we changed how we looked at discipleship. We changed our strategy as far as reaching people all over our city. We went to a multi-site strategy. So many churches have done that. And then the, the other thing we did is we wound up changing our name uh, quite practically because we couldn't be First Baptist North Mobile in West Mobile. Right. And so we, we changed it to Redemption Church. And that was a story in and of itself. I had a group of young leaders in the church that I get tasked with that assignment and because I really didn't know what the name should be. But it turned out it was perfect, and the church embraced it immediately. People ask me, man, that must be hard to change the name of a church, especially a church with a good name. And I said, no, I'm going to tell you, it's the easiest thing I've ever been a part of. And it was just a, it was a God moment, but everyone said, after we revealed the name, everyone said, our, our message is our name, and our yep. name is our message. Excellent. You know, as churches need to go through this revisioning and restructuring process every four to five years, so does state conventions. And we're in the midst of that ourselves right now. Uh, we went through a lot of that when I first came, but now we're revisioning and refocusing. We're looking at it and in the framing of it and all of those things. So uh, it's interesting. We're right in the middle of it. So we understand well, and it's a necessity if we're going to continue the process of living out the life that God's given us to live as a convention or a church. Okay, folks, we'll be right back with a continuation of Punching Holes in the Darkness podcast. Well, friends, we want to welcome today uh, One Mission TV as our sponsor here at uh, Punching Holes in the Darkness podcast. They have been an invaluable partner with us since I've come here to uh, the Baptist State Convention of Michigan, what they effectively have done is they took all of our media resources and we put them together in this one neat package that One Mission TV takes care of. They're just doing an admirable job for us and have really taken us to a different level in our media work. Here's some things they've done for us. They've done web design, they can do logo design, designs for print materials, and of course any kind of video presence and, and recording you'd like to do. And uh, they've really helped us enhance our online presence as they can for you. Great guys, great partners, you will be glad you have done this. They're really a one call media company and I think you'll be blessed by using One Mission TV. And friends, if you want to contact One Mission TV, you can do so at info at onemission.tv. That's info at onemission.tv. Well, listen, uh, you're 
intricately involved in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, you're a candidate for the presidency of the convention this year. And uh, what, are some of the, what are some of the greatest things about being a Southern Baptist? What's, what's some of the really good stuff about being a Southern oh, Baptist? Listen, I, I think the, the world, the vision of a world coming to Christ is, is the greatest thing. A Revelation 5 vision is what really marks a Southern Baptist at our best. And, and I think that vision, and I, I tell people, I'm taking a lot of young people with me to the convention this year from our church. Not all of them are messengers, <laughs> I wish, but they're not. But I'm saying this is your first experience. And I said, you will actually believe, we believe the nations are worth giving our lives for because we do at our best. And, and I think um, the, the other thing is when we see the application of church planting throughout North America, especially in the unreached, unserved areas of our country, uh, Redemption Church is planting 10 churches through the SEND network right now. And, and so we send awesome. people out. We work with people constantly. And, and what we find is, and everybody that does this, I'm sure sees the same thing, but we're finding God's raising up a generation of people that will be our next generation of church planters. And, and they, they come in as a support mechanism, and it's absolutely wonderful. So we're seeing great progress in that. The other thing is probably nothing shines brighter in the North American continent than when we have a disaster and our disaster relief people oh, show sure. up. I'm telling you, I was, Kathy and I were driving from Northwest Arkansas back to Mobile uh, right when a hurricane was hitting toward Louisiana. So we're trying to get home to batten down our hatches in case it, you know, weebled or wobbled. And, and we pass a truck from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention <laughs> heading in a disaster relief truck, a semi going down, going straight into the storm. Now we were going to skirt it to get away from it, but they were going straight heading into it. Exactly. And, and to me, that's one of the greatest living testaments. The other thing about a disaster is that everybody's focused on the one thing. And so it doesn't matter. When you get out of that truck and there's a person, it doesn't matter if they're black, they're white, if they're Asian or Hispanic, man, they just, they love the fact that you're there. You came, you brought water, you brought tarps, you mud out their house in the name of Jesus. And I think we, we, we never shine brighter than when those moments come. And I'm going to say this too, this is hard to wrap your mind around something as big as the SBC, but I felt the arms of this, this convention of churches wrap around me when my wife died. I can't explain it. It was the power of prayer. People prayed for me that didn't know me. People prayed for me who knew me, but I, I sensed my very existence was, was, was teetering and tottering, but, but I believe God answered prayer. I, I think that's another thing about us. We don't have enough, and we thank God for President J.D. Greer right now calling us to prayer, even this very hour, but we need to seek God. God is moving, and, and I think the future is as bright as the promises of God. We just have to forget some of, the, some of the, the things that we think right now are so important or seem important to us. we got to get focused again on the great commandment and the great commission, because those two things together are powerful. Absolutely. And Ed, you're talking about uh, disaster relief and what we do. Really, when people in the world look at us, many of them who have nothing to do with the religion, uh, when, they, when you say, we're Southern Baptists, many times they will say, oh, you're the guys in those yellow hats that help people. Right. And uh, it really is a great, great ministry. Uh, our leader here, Bob Kiger, does an admirable job. In fact, he's off today 
they're down a state somewhere in uh, the south southern states, I think Louisiana, helping out. That's what they're doing. And they're just, that's what they do all over America. Well, again, there's so many great things. We do mo- so much better together than we do individually. We do. And that's what Southern Baptists do well. We do things well together. So here's some other things. Uh, uh, what are some of the greatest challenges we have right now in our Baptist Zion? Yeah, Tim, I think one of our great challenges is that there seems to be a pull in our conservatism. And this is something unique to conservative people. But there's a pull in our conservatism to go even further into what would be called fundamentalism. And people want to, and I believe in definitions. So what do you mean, Ed, when you talk about a fundamentalist? Because um, I've at times wore the badge fundamentalist proudly because mm-hmm. I believe in the fundamentals. But it's more than that. Uh, just think Pharisees in the New Testament. By the way, the Pharisees started out as a reform movement. They, they, they were saying, we're never going to we're never going to hurt God and exile, get exiled. Right. Problem was we become legalistic. And, and so what's happening, I fear, and I'm concerned about, is that we're hearing calls to redefine some things in the Baptist faith and message, which is our statement of faith. It is brilliantly written because I'm talking about Baptist faith and message 2000 because it, it is just sticky enough to hold us together. But there is, there is a broadness to that belief system so that we can take in more to be able to do more for the glory of God and getting the gospel to the nations. But what I'm seeing is people wanting to delve down into the Baptist faith and message and say, well, this has got to be narrowed. You, you can't uh, be a complementarian if, and then they fill out the rest of that sentence. And, and it concerns me because I am a Baptist, and I'm Baptistic into the core of my being. I believe in the autonomy of the local church. I believe in baptism by immersion. I believe that the local church pastor has to be free to have some wiggle room in that Baptist faith and message. Otherwise, we can't threaten people. That's what the Pharisees were good at. They sure. would mm-hmm. threaten people if they didn't hold their theological interpretation on everything. So, I, and I, I agree. I, you and I, I know you are conservative without any doubt. You're Bible-believing. You're an inerrantist. You believe in those fundamentals of the Scripture, as do I. I'm conservative. I've been conservative since early, early, early days of my, my Christian life. Uh, some people call, say, Tim, you're so conservative. You squeak you're so conservative. I am. But there are just certain things I cannot go with and certain things that are that push us beyond what scripture says. And literally it becomes almost this outside culture that says, you've got to interpret the scripture this way through our cultural perspective. And many times I hate to say through our political persuasion or perspective, which, which is absolutely, I think abhorrent to God. And it, it cannot be because even though we live in America and we're blessed, we are blessed to be in a God blessed (laughs) country like America. But one day we may not have a, bl- a God-blessed America. We may live in a different country and our people may live somewhere else. And people all around the world live in countries that don't have the same perspective. Uh, are they any less Christian? Are they any less conservative? Are they, they, they well, love God any less? Absolutely not. Jim, that the gospel seems to flourish in places where Absolutely, it does. Restricted. Uh, and we're not begging for that. I Listen, I think we will, we will give an account to God for what we did with the freedoms we were given. And, and the problem is we've become myopically focused on politics. 
Yes. And the cultural, the cultural idea of politics has, I think, is creeping in. And one of the reasons our religious liberties are being going to be tested, and I think are being tested right now, is because we aligned ourselves with one party, and they're not in power. No. And, and that's so sad, because we are not the party of an elephant nor a donkey. We're the party of the lamb. That's what a Christian is. And uh, that's who should be leading us and not another political party. You know, even though I have very strong conservative political views, uh, that is that is not the point. The point is, when it comes to Christianity and the church, we need to be very, very careful as to who we bring in as a representative for our positions. And we just can't do that. Well, listen, there's another question I want to ask you. If you are elected as president of the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville this year, uh, what are some of the things you'd like to accomplish or see accomplished during your tenure? You know, I think one of the things that uh, <clears throat> that truly concerns me is that uh, our culture is 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 confronting race and racial issues in a way and by philosophies and ideas that are not gospel centered. I don't expect the culture to be gospel centered, but the church has to be gospel centered. And there's an avoidance of these issues right now. There's not a, there's not a desire to engage them. Uh, I'm in Mobile, Alabama. We have a very strained and difficult past. The last slave ship to offload North America was right here. The last lynching in North America was here in 1983. That's current mm. recent history. And, and so there are deep wounds in our community. And so <clears throat> after Ferguson, and I've done some work before that time with not much success, and we, none of us could seem to get any kind of a traction. But after Ferguson, a group of black and white pastors and other leaders started meeting, and we have not stopped meeting since. And, and we, we're called the Pledge Group because we, we started by listening to each other. We started by hearing each other. And I got to be honest with you, I, I didn't think I could last in the group because I had a couple of concerns. One, I don't want to be labeled. And the other thing is it, by anybody. I didn't want to be labeled a bigot because I'm mm-hmm. white. But I would be labeled by other people that I was, you know, I've gone woke or soft or whatever on my theology. But the other thing is I was concerned about some of the things I had heard and read about other people's theology. And I thought, man, that could get complicated. Well, let me tell you what I've discovered. I've discovered that that's not a problem. Mm. That even when you encounter people who have a different theology, the love of Jesus Christ transforms that. And you, as a pastor, will have the opportunity to speak life and truth into other people that could be transformative. And we've seen that happen here. Uh, This last year, when there were riots in many streets and many cities across this country, God spared us of that. And I think not not in a major part, and I'm certainly not taking credit for anything, but God, God is moving in our city because people were willing to sit together and talk over years and, and work together to try to bring gospel reconciliation. And for, for almost two years, Tim, we discussed and debated every two weeks, we'd get together for lunch in and, and a, and a quiet room, and we would debate this whole thing of politics and race and how do you solve these problems. And someone very wisely advised us to stay at the table, get become friends, love each other. And that's exactly what God has done. I want to tell you something. I, I think Southern Baptists, I hear this. I heard it today. A lot of people say, what do I have to apologize for? This is not my problem. This is a cultural problem. No, it may not be your problem. Your granddaddy may not have owned a slave, but I'm going to just tell you something. 
if you're a gospel person, you're the solution. Absolutely. And the gospel people, I get questioned about this a lot because I'm kind of known for it. But the reality is it's, it's not racial reconciliation. It's gospel reconciliation. Absolutely. And, and, and so it's the gospel that brings our hearts because the problem I had a man in my church. And by the way, it's not been all welcome and received everywhere. But I had a man in my church was kind of taking me to task on this, which is good. It's fine. Let's reason. And he said, I don't have a prejudice bone in my body. I said, it's not your bones I'm worried about. It's your heart. (laughs) The bottom line is this. I wasn't just trying to be a smart aleck. But the truth is, Jesus said in the last days, men's hearts would grow cold because of fear. And here's the problem. I'm going to tell you why our numbers are going in this direction down. The reason our baptisms are going down, the reason our CP is going down, I'm convinced is because our churches have become bubbles where everybody looks alike, thinks alike, and votes alike. And what's happened is we're not breaking out of that bubble to people that don't look like us, think like us, or vote like us. And, and we want to agree on everything before we can love people. And this is what's holding the gospel back. Jesus loved first. Jesus took his disciples into awkward, painful situations, and he broke loose. Uh, he transformed Samaria this way. And, and, and so God wants us as his people to re-engage with the culture. But, but we're, we're in this really strange place right now where we're celebrating the bubble and what's going on inside. And our doctrinal flags fly higher than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this, Tim, when, when Southern Baptists make doctrinal agreement the centerpiece of our existence, we'll have nothing but fights, nothing but division, and nothing but decline. But when the gospel is the center, and the, by the way, the, the gospel, the Great Commission is inseparably linked to the Great Commandment. Absolutely. Love God Absolutely. first, love your neighbors yourself. That's our drive and our motivation to do this, to go to the ends of the earth. And as we do, we go with credibility. Amen. Well, and we really need to do another podcast. This is not enough time. I'm sorry. We're going to have to bring this to close, but hopefully we can do another one in the near future. Talk about these issues because I do believe that racial issues and the reconciliation that the gospel brings are absolutely imperative to us moving forward as a people, as a convention. So, Ed, thank you for your kindness and giving this time to share with the people here and the pastors of Michigan. We so appreciate you. And we're going to be praying for you and asking God bless you, oversee you, take care of you through all these uh, next few weeks. Hey, one more thing I would say to the pastors of Michigan and anyone else that's listening, you matter. And you need to be there. I know maybe short notice, but you need to get there and you need to you need to be in the room, stay in the room, because a lot of very important tensions are mounting in Nashville, Tennessee. And I believe we could walk out of this more united, more focused than we've ever been before. But yep. you can't do it sitting in an armchair. Nope. You're gonna have to get up and go. So please be there. Absolutely. And we look forward to you. The folks encourage you, be part of making a difference and being part of Punching Holes in the Darkness here in Michigan and beyond. God bless you. Thanks, Ed. And folks, thanks for joining with us today. This has been Punching Holes in the Darkness, a podcast from the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. If you have liked this episode, please rate us and leave a review. That will help others to find us and enjoy these conversations too. And if you subscribe, you will be notified when new episodes are available. Join us next time as we help Michigan churches punch holes in the darkness.